2: Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester Red podcast from the Manchester United News. I'm today's host George Smith and I'm delighted to be joined by our Chief United writer Samuel Luckhurst, and fellow United writer Tyrone Marshall. How are we doing today gentlemen?
0: Good, not bad thank you, not bad at all. L- looking forward to the tour next week. Ho- hopefully Man United will have a, a couple of signings on board by that point but it's been a Another of those weeks uh, Ty and I are, 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 are dueling at the moment over our predictions as to whether they'll make a sign in this week he, he said on Monday they would I said they wouldn't but they would before the tour so I, I'm, I'm I'm, still quietly optimistic I might win on the predictions <laughs> next no, there but, but there, there is still time no there no is idea. still time this week
1: yeah, there is time, but I've got no faith that it's, uh, it's going to happen at the moment. I think I said on a podcast a few weeks ago, they'd make a signing before the end of June. So that, um, that podcast has already has already died a death.
2: <laughs> well, we are now three weeks into the window. It's three weeks today since it opened and we are still waiting for that first signing of the summer. But since we last recorded an episode, United are a lot closer than they were, it seems. Uh, Tyrell Malassia and Frankie de Jong edging closer to joining United. Start with Malacia. United agreed to be with fee with Feynor on Tuesday, uh, hijacking his seemingly proposed move to Leon. It all came about quite quickly and all of a sudden. But it seems like it's edging ever closer, Samuel, doesn't it?
0: It's it's strange how on on Monday when we uh, spoke with Rich, I don't think Malacia was was even mentioned. And I know there there was some talk uh, in the background going on. He was certainly being linked with United, but he didn't seem like an imminent deal for. Uh, a whole myriad of reasons, really. I mean, they've. He's, he's a left back. United have got three senior left backs. They've got another one in Alvaro Fernandez who um, was involved in the first team towards the end of last season. It's not as if they needed to rush out and sign a left back, but they were always open to um, improving at, at full-back. Uh, so that's either the, the right or the left side, effectively. And it was it was difficult, certainly towards the end of the season. We were trying to just having these discussions on the podcast like where, where would they get a fullback in what type of fallback would it be um i mean ideally if you can get someone with the profile uh, similar to Jao cancello that would be ideal someone who's all action who is effectively a playmaker as a fullback and can play both sides that's great but there aren't many with with that who feel that criterion. and i know i was brilliant at football as xiao cancello anyway and in the end, they've plumped for a left-back who clearly uh, Ten Hag likes. I mean, the fact that he's Dutch and plays in the Eredivisie, we, we probably should have known that, that Ten Hag uh, would be in for him. And d- despite the, the stories this morning about the, uh, the issue of the representation of um, malasia uh, regarding his, his move to United, uh, United have been quite quick to... Um, reassure supporters and reassure reporters as well who are always reporting on these things that um, there's no problem with it. Uh, the, the word from United is that, that the deal remains on track uh, for completion in the coming days. Uh, they, they acknowledge that there was an issue with the representation, but it didn't affect United's process of uh, going going through the deal uh, and, and their discussions with Feyenoord. And it's also not affected uh the the frankie deong uh, the protracted as we always have to prefix it now uh frankie deong deal because Diong De is represented by the same agent as as Mal- uh, malasio as well so um al- although they've gone through june without signing anyone and that's that's not a good look however way you look at it despite all the mitigation out there um th- there is still time and you would probably you know, be reasonably confident of them getting to these two deals done before they fly off to Bangkok in a week's time. They certainly need to for their own sake, and that's probably bought United a bit of time um, and, and and also earned them some breathing space from uh, the, the hyenas online who've been snapping at their heels all summer for not signing anyone and have been getting increasingly irate and with a lot of justification as well. But it's it's I mean, Malassia is an interesting he's an interesting signing's especially given the profile compared with, with Alex Tellers a couple of years ago. Tellers came in as, as an older left back than Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw for now is still regarded as, as United's main left back, but you know, Malassia is is, is twenty two, um, I think short, turns I think turns twenty seven in just just over a week's time now. And his contract situation, maximum of two years left on it. he will be nearly twenty nine by the end of that point. Un- United have recently uh, seen a couple of twenty nine year olds run down their contracts. Um, th- 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 I don't think anyone really at left back is. Has got a secure future there at the moment uh with with malasia likely to come in and with alvaro fernandez united were quite proactive there in saying that they're looking or certainly they're open to to loaning him out this summer i think his development is obviously important and and supporters were probably worrying or fretting that he might get left by the wayside but rich rich did that story in the week so um as I said, it's a a position they're top-heavy in and the the priority once, as far as left-back's concerned, once Malassia gets done, has got to be to shift a couple of left-backs, at the very least a couple of them.
2: Yeah, you've led me nicely there into my next point. I was going to ask you, Tyrone, obviously, as Samuel said, they're going to be pretty well stocked at left-back once this Malassia deal gets over the line. But obviously they've got quite a different range of ages and potential and things like that. Alex Tellez is the one that kind of sticks out as being the obvious one that they need to shift on the most. If Fernandez goes out on loan, then obviously Brandon Williams is in the equation as well. But they don't want to leave themselves too short in case of injuries. But you would look at it and think Tellez is the one that they need to shift, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um I mean Tellez had these had a lot of chances last season and he was, you know, he was he was poor all season really last year. I don't think there's any evidence that he's cut out for playing fullback in the Premier League, really. Um you know, it's strange to think he was so impressive on his debut in that PSG game nearly a couple of years ago now when I think Luke Shaw played centre half that day and Telez looked really good, but he's just never he's never kicked on from there. Positionally, he was woeful at times last season. He looked like he'd never played left back before he was out of position that often. And yeah, I just think he's he's nowhere near good enough. And I think part of the attraction was that Telez was an attacking left-back, but I don't think he's been any better than Luke Shaw, really, going forward. So I think he's the obvious one to go. Um, Shaw is the interesting one in terms of how, how he does this season. I mean, he's been here eight years now. It was eight years the other day since he signed. And it's rare you get a player spend eight years at United, and we still don't really know sort of how how good or otherwise he is. It still feels like there's question marks about him. Um, only once has he played more than 30 Premier League games in a season. He's had a lot of injury issues. Obviously, the, the leg break was incredibly unlucky, a horrible injury, but he's missed 150 games in total through through injury in that time. He was brilliant two years ago, brilliant in the European Championship, <clears throat> was poor at the start of last season. I think he escaped a lot of the scrutiny last season with, with being injured in terms of the defence. But when he did play, he, he wasn't great. You know, you think back to that Liverpool game at Old Trafford and, and he was awful that day. So there's still questions there to answer it still feels like we don't know if if Shaw is kind of the inconsistent player that frustrated Mourinho and the one we saw last season or whether these the player of 2020, 2021 and the Euros who was looked potentially one of the best left backs in the world it still feels like we don't really know which which version of him is the actual real Luke Shaw um so it's going to be interesting this season to see how it goes I think it's inevitably will start the season as, as first choice Malaysia you know, he's he's coming out of a league that's you know, it is not one of the biggest in Europe. It's not one of the most testing in Europe. There's a lot of easy games when you're when you're a player for Fire Nord or for Ajax or for PSV in that league. So the the step up to United into the Premier League is is going to be massive. So you can see him playing second fiddle to Shaw, but it does feel like, you know, he, he's the younger man, he's obviously gonna be snapping at Shaw's heels at some point, and Shaw needs to needs to get back on the horse, as it were, and, and show that the real version of him is the one that was so good for England in the Euros and for United that season.
2: Definitely. And just lastly on the left back situation, Samuel, where do you see the situation with Brandon Williams? Do you think he's somebody United will look to keep as a squad player, or looks try on move him on permanently, or maybe sending out for another loan spell? Uh,
0: it it could be any one of those things, but the the preference you would think would have to be for permanent sale, just because it means that they can get some income and. There aren't many players in that squad who who want out, and United want out that would would be a straightforward sale. He's he, him and two and are probably the, the ones that not necessarily stand out, but seem that the likeliest that they could get fees for. Uh, I mean, Fulham seem to be doing them a favour with the offer they've made for Andreas Pereira, but with with Williams, it it could be a loan or a permanent deal. He he, he wants to play, uh, you know, at a regular uh, level next season, and um, playing regular football as he did recently with with Norwich on loan. Uh, it was it was a reasonably successful loan for him. In individually, he you know he got a lot of playing time at, in the Premier League, but he was playing for one of the biggest sinking ships has ever been to you know come into the premier league i don't think they were afloat at any point norwich really apart from when the table was put, put out in, in alphabetical order they were just above the relegation zone then but it's it's remarkable how a club can be that ill prepared um to two premier league seasons running i know there are circumstances and uh, behind that and um, you know They have limitations, but it, it ended pretty badly with them getting... I think they got thumped 5-0 on the final day, didn't they, by Tottenham? And, and Williams was starting to get a bit of stick from Norwich fans as well because the season just went so badly. But for his development, it was good, given his contract situation of... Uh, I think he's got a couple of years left on it, and the, the experience he crammed into that... What first breakthrough season with United, which was a very good season for him as well. Nobody really expected him to come to prominence as uh, as much as he as much as he did. But unfortunately for him, because of the circumstances, I, I always thought with Teles even at the time that the timing of just the timing of it. I didn't think United should have been you know, seeking a left back, and and I know Tellez, his numbers were impressive in Portugal, and maybe. It was a bit of an impressionable move by United because Fernandes' numbers in Portugal were good, but Fernandes seems to be an exception to the norm. And, and last season he was poor. I'd I'd say that Williams gave Shaw a run for his money much more than than Tellers ever did. Um, I mean, Shaw was injured quite a lot last season, which was why Tellers played. As as many games as he as he did, but when Williams was playing and, and competing with Shaw, he was playing as encor- so encouragingly to the point that Solskjaer was actually accommodating Shaw as a as a left sided centre back in in the back three quite regularly. Certainly before, I think it was just in the run up to to. Um, to to the shutdown in, in March March twenty twenty. Um United were playing with a back three very, very often and, and Williams was the left wing back and Shaw was was tucked in alongside him. So um uh, they, they have got two sellable ball backs there in Williams and Tellez and even though they are you know pretty you know, that they, they are small fry, it's still a big test of where United are at as to whether one, they can get rid of those players, two, whether they loan or sell them and if if they are selling them, what, what kind of fees do they get for them?
2: Yeah, it's certainly going to make an interesting situation over the coming weeks. Moving back to players that are coming in, obviously, Frankie de Jong as well. It seems like we're, we're nearly at the point where it's finally, finally going to happen, almost two months since we first ran that story that they were interested. Samuel, it, it looks like he, Eric Ten Hag is finally getting his main man to lead his midfield revolution.
0: That they've agreed to the fee. Uh, he's he's still on holiday. I think he's got a bit quieter on his on his Instagram, which I'm sure people will read something into when just just, just ignore it. <laughs> you know, don't t- turn the notifications off for it. I I, I certainly have never ever had notifications on, um, on on Frankie De Jong this summer. I think the only time I've ever done that with a footballer, I, I must confess, was with with Pogba in in 2016. I think that was the summer of Instagram stories starting, but um i've i've grown up a little bit since then fortunately and and that was for for journalistic purposes but where again with uh, De Jong uh, you know they they played for the Netherlands in in the nations league they they're entitled to their three week break that ends next week which is good timing for united and they and them going away on their pre-season tour so it i mean it, we are into is it day 51 now i think um, if if it doesn't happen, something will have gone majorly, majorly wrong uh, for, for that deal to have collapsed because, th- as I said, the fee has been agreed. The player um, has, has had his concerns assuaged by by Ten Hag. United would not be trying to do a deal for a player uh, 50-odd days down the line if there was no chance of him, if he wasn't receptive, at the very least, to joining them. Uh, I mean there, there are credible comparisons with the the, the Fab, fabricas farce um nine years ago. But remarkably that didn't that didn't last anywhere near as long as this did. I think that lasted under four weeks, that whole saga. Um but the, the Trump Card United have got this time is that they've got a manager who actually knows the player and, and who the player enjoyed playing under. So if if slash when it does happen, as, as much as United might dress it up, there is one reason why they are as advanced as they are in, in trying to sign De Jong, and that's because of Ten Hag.
2: Then, Ty, obviously, it's been a play that they've wanted for almost eight weeks now, and it is the man that Ten Hag has pinpointed all his hopes on. <laughs> obviously, it's, it goes against the grain that we all expect of a defensive midfielder. Do you think that's a suggestion that Ten Hag is going to try and put United more on the front foot in games, make them more attack-minded and more expansive?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think there was kind of two issues with the midfield, the lack of a defensive midfielder and the fact that they just had no control of games. And he's obviously looked at it and decided that control is, is the bigger issue. And in a way, once you've got control of games, the need for a defensive midfielder is a little less because by having control of the game, you allow yourself to get in a better structure. Players are in better positions. Too often, last season, United were... United were cut apart in midfield because they'd lose the ball in good areas. The players were in the wrong positions. There was no midfield there anyway. Um, so, by having more of the ball and someone like De Jong who can control games, then theoretically they should have players in in better positions to to stop those counter attacks, which caused them so many problems last season. It does still feel like I need a defensive midfielder, um, but that's obviously going to be kicking the can down the road in, in 2023 now. But it, it does look obvious that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Ten Hard felt the, the bigger issue was that lack of control and just needing a passer in midfield and watching them last season, needing a season for that, it's been, it has been obvious that they don't have anyone who can, you know, they don't have a passer you would expect of a big six team in that midfield. When it's Fred McTominay and Fernandes, you know, Fernandes is a risk taker with the ball. He will lose the ball a lot. His passing starts are poor, but that's because every time he gets the ball, he's he's trying to create something, sometimes for the opposition but he's always trying to create something and and do something. as seen by the two occasions last season when he just hooked a throw in over his shoulder without looking and, and created goals for for the opposition. And Fred and McTominay, for all their strengths, you know, neither of them are elite level passers. Neither of them are, are great passers of the ball. They can both have games where they're, they're really wayward. So it's felt like they need a De Jong type player who can just keep the ball moving, who can set a rhythm, give them some control. I think it'd arguably work well in kind of a four two three one with Fred. I think it's you know, if they're gonna sign de Jong and not a defensive midfielder, I think it's obvious it, it looks like they're gonna to stick to that four, two, three, one. Or if it's a four three three, then have two, you know, two pivots really, rather than just one defensive midfielder and two eights. I don't think you can play just De Jong and then have Ericsson and Fernandez or Van Der Beek and Fernandez or something like that. It's it looks to me like it's gonna be de Jong and Fred maybe sitting deep with Fernandez in front of them. And I think it you know it does show that Ten Hag feels the bigger issue rather than needing a defensive midfielder is, is controlling games. And if you can achieve that and once they can control games, then I think some of those issues that we saw last season will improve naturally anyway.
2: Um, sticking with the transfer front and the last one on this, uh, Rich broke a story on Thursday about Romero possibly being interested in a return to Old Trafford. We understand United haven't signalled any interest from their side yet. Samuel, what what do you make to the prospect of Romero potentially coming back and being interested in that? Do you think it's a move that would make sense should United open the door for him?
0: It, it would because he, he he's more than happy to play second fiddle um, to, to David De Gea. He's got a good relationship with De Gea to the point that when, when Romero left last year... De Gea posted something that was at the very least sympathetic to the treatment he he received in his in, in Romero received in his final season. But it helps Romero as well that Oleg and Solskjaer and Ed Woodward are, are no longer there. I mean, Solskjaer, the, the treatment of him was shabby. He he was dropped to the Europa League semi-final when he, he really shouldn't have been. United lost that. And then he was denied a transfer when Dean Henderson was coming back. And it, it was just, it was typical United, really, of not being able to sell players or, or struggling to sell players. That uh, They had an absolute easy sale there in a player who had a year left in his contract, pretty much. Uh, had, had done very well for them and, and they could get a decent fee for and it didn't happen for whatever reason. There was never a, um, a, a, an explanation that, that really washed with with supporters. In fact, I don't think it was even a, a, ever addressed by Solskjaer. But the fact that Solskjaer isn't there and Ed Woodward isn't there is, is helpful. And the other fascinating thing, I suppose, with, with Romero and just his career is that he's not broken the 20 game mark uh, in a club season since I think 2012 13 when he was at Sampdoria. And that's because he's got a, a knee injury. I think chronic might be possibly overstating it, but it's debilitating enough that it restricts him to a, a certain number of games per season, which is why when he was at Venezia last year, he was on a one year contract and I think, he, I think he just about broke double figures for, for appearances for them. It was certainly under 20, but his his ability to play is capped at a certain level. And I know that sounds a bit odd, well, why would you sign a croc? But it, it genuinely did work for United over five years. I mean, as, as far as a number two was concerned, he was as, as good as it got. I don't think during that period there was a better number two in world football, which seems like a backhanded compliment, but... For a while, it, it did really work well for him and that he also kept his place in the Argentina side up until a point, I think it was just before the 2018 World Cup, he might have got an injury and it looked like he was going to start in the FA Cup final that year, but that injury towards the end of the season meant... That he was out of the running for that, so he has a good relationship with um, De Gea. That the, the, there's an alliance there, uh, and also if you need to tick the Ten Hag box as well, he has played in Dutch football. He's he's not Dutch. He's not played for Ajax. He he, he doesn't play for Ajax, but he has played in Dutch football from his time with with AZ So I, I think it would make quite a lot of sense, and especially you know from from the Glazers' perspective as well. He's um he's he's available on, on free. He's out of contract.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Obviously, it's kind of a risk-free move, isn't it? People might look at it and think he's thirty-five now; he's coming towards the end of his career. But it's always different for goalkeepers. And Ty, he did a good enough job last time. And like Samuel's just said, there he's available a three. It probably would make sense with Dean Henderson moving out on loan.
1: Yeah, it does feel like they need another a, another keeper. I mean, I think every club has three senior keepers now, and, and obviously, if Henderson goes, you've only got Tom Heaton as as backup. Um, he's not played an awful lot of football since he had a knee injury as well, so it would be a risk as a number two if anything happened to De Gea, um, and then obviously you've got no backup for him. I think you know R- R- Romero. I think Romero had knee surgery at the end of last year, so I don't know how that's affected his injury. But he, I mean, he conceded a hell of a lot of goals in the games he played last year for Venezia. I know they finished bottom of, of Serie A. Um, I can't say what. I can't say how many goals were his fault. I can't say particularly watch them, but. Um, you know, it, it would make sense in terms of knowing the club, knowing how the structure works and things like that. In terms of free agent keepers, I mean, there's, there's a hell of a lot of players on free agents deals this year. You wonder if there's something better out there. It's, I mean, it's hard to judge because the goalkeeping situation at United still feels like it's up in the air, really. Um, you know, De Gea was player of the year again last year, but doesn't feel a natural fit for Ten Hag. They didn't want to sell or include an option to sell Dean Henderson in the loan. So it's obviously going to be revisited in 12 months time, at which point it'd be three years after Solskjaer admitted it was unsustainable. Um, There's going to have to be a decision made then. And one of them will have to be sold next year. But at that point, you know, if you bring Romero and Heaton in, I mean, they'll both be 36 or 37 next year, you'd probably need one of them to leave and get a younger backup. So does feel like a a delicate situation really for United and goalkeepers in terms of of knowing what to do and sort of who to commit to and and who to keep and do you look to sign a younger backup now with the knowledge that one of those two is going it's um it is it is a tricky one For for a department that's well stocked it's almost causing them causing them problems in a way it is it's going to be another interesting situation to watch over the next year or so uh, away from transfers and now on to
2: other matters, it's been the first week officially of the Eric Ten Hag. era, he's had his first week of training at Carrington this week, been plenty of videos and pictures that have emerged from the club and other agencies that we've all been able to see, one thing that struck me has been there seems to be a real focus on passing ability, sharp movement, things like that, Samuel what have you made from what you've seen of Ten Hag's first week in the job?
0: It's revolutionary stuff, isn't it? But, you know, <laughs> get, getting a pass off and, and sharp movement in in you know, English football. I, I mean I completely agree. It, there has there's been noticeable difference in just looking at that footage. Um and United have been okay with you know even recording some of the audio from it i know it's literally just layoff pass it's it's hardly you know state secret but i think the the clip that uh, i thought was particularly interesting um as, as far as as interesting as those things can get was getting the goalkeepers involved in these very precise short sharp passing drills as if like you know they're actually a, a sweeper keeper, not sweeper keeper but you know you're you occupying that role but you are been been heavily involved in the build up that clearly was not happening at the club previously because you you only had to look at the way the keepers played and um I, I think if if they did have that footage they'd have probably put it out there there was some footage from training that they had towards the end of the season which was uh for for a club channel it was it was quite Quite engaging and, and worth watching as well of um, how how quick those small sided games can be and that they were playing them again this week. But having the goalkeeper involved, that's 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 also interesting because it's going to mean there's going to be some added pressure on David De Gea to to adapt his game at the age of 31 or 32, being possibly involved in in more build up play and and playing passes that he hasn't necessarily been playing for most of his time at United um of course on the on the tuesday when they all came in at the same time uh it was it was for for 9 a.m which is now earlier than it has been in recent years uh which is you know contact said to me it harks back to to sir Alex ferguson's days of getting in at 9 a.m um i mean whether you think it's impressive or not it's you know it's something that stands out as part of ten Hag's discipline and and it's an adjustment to the schedule and it's a rule change that he's overseen and you know, just going off how widely read that was and how it was picked up, it's, it's clearly of interest to United supporters. And it's just one of those nuggets of details that, you know, it might, it might have a big impact going forward. It, it might annoy the players going forward. It could go either way. But at the moment, understandably, uh, the, the supporters are, are on Ten Hag's side and they're all for him. Um, you know, trying to make life a little bit tougher for players who who have been coasting, who have have been underachieving, and really do need quite quite a significant jolt this season. And of course, you'll have the the, the international batch coming in next week. So a lot of those players are in training this week. The academy players they'll be going back to the under twenty threes, back to the, um, the the juniors, so that Ten Hag can accommodate a, a fuller squad. And then we have to wait and see who who gets in the the squad for the preseason tour. I mean, I was, you know, what was probably the most standout thing about it was that uh, Garnacho came back after seventeen days off. He was uh, permitted. A few more days off than that but it's it's an impressive statement of intent from him because he he's certainly a, in, in contention for making that pre-season tour squad uh, particularly as they've not they've not signed a new uh, a new forward just yet and some of the attacking players who are, are still on their breaks as well and he had a really good end to the season with with winning the youth cup and his goal scoring exploits uh, at that level and then getting involved in the first team he had the argentina recognition as well training with messi and ronaldo in you know just just weeks apart or whatever it was so um you know it's, it's an impressive attitude it's, it's good going from him good luck to him and as I said, it will be interesting to see come that squad next week how how ruthless Ten Hag is. Because although the player list on the club website has been updated now, so you know Paul Pogba is officially no longer a Man United player, and neither is Jesse Lingard. There are still some calls to be made with a what is still a bloated squad, um, especially if they can get uh, two two incomings involved and that, for them to be. There, so that they can brave the uh, the queues at Manchester Airport next week as well. It, it makes it you know it's another decision to be taken as to which players don't don't make the cut for that for that trip to Thailand and and Australia.
2: Certainly, it's going to be interesting on on that front, like so many others. And Ty, you wrote the other day a piece about how you were quite impressed with the way Eric Ten Hag and Steve McLaren were already beginning to change the standards. Samuel mentioned there about the players being in for nine am on day two. It doesn't sound anything too earth shattering. But it's just a way of restoring order and, and getting everybody singing from the same hymn sheet, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I think it's the first time that uh, a Dutch bloke shouting pass layoff has ever gone viral. Um, <laughs> like, like we say, there was nothing revolutionary, but it, it kind of speaks to the lack of coaching at Carrington over the last few years. Yeah. But United fans were, were lapping it up and just to hear, you could hear McLaren in the background shouting detail, detail, which kind of, speaks to what we know of ten Hag, who is a real perfectionist the real hands-on on the on the training ground and a bit intense you can hear van de Gag um talking about third man runs and um they've clearly got all the phrases uh, when it comes to to training and and you know, it was interesting that, that the 9am story it was interesting that it was that samuel's story was retweeted by the mclaren performance podcast which i think the accounts run by steve mclaren's son but it's obviously going to be yeah. influenced he's thinking he's going to be influenced by his dad um so it's all you know it's obviously something that they feel is is particularly important and trying to drive up those standards um so yeah you know it does it does feel it's one of those situations where especially when there's a new a new era so to speak that you're looking for little clues on how things are changing um like i say that that video wasn't anything revelatory but there's an awful lot of managers out there who wouldn't let any social media filming um go out the, you know, they're they're very hands-on and don't want any training ground clips going online, going on social media. Um, so ten Hag is is obviously relatively relaxed about it. Obviously, he's not gonna, you know, not gonna put 11, 11, 11 v 11 games on a Friday out. Um, but he's pretty relaxed about it seemingly, and it was it was insightful just to see the fact that there's there's essentially, I suppose there's four coaches with Eric Ramsey, but there's three, three at the top of the chain, so to speak, with Ten Hag, McLaren and Van der Gag, and they were all They've all been there in track suits this week. They're all heavily involved in that drill. It's not always been the way. I mean, Mike Feeling was never on the training ground. Um, Solskjaer wasn't always leading sessions. So it is a bit of a, a diversion in that Ten Hag is clearly hands on the training ground. He is a proper coach. The The United players, I think, were excited to work with someone like that who who was a proper coach, might be inexperienced, so to speak, at a club at the size of United. but what he was bringing was was real sort of trading ground now and I said it a few times on this podcast, I think a lot of the, the slackening off of of levels at United, players like Rashford who've who failed to kick on and had a tough few years, I think a lot of that stems from just a lack of elite level coaching at Carrington, especially when you look at what they're getting at, at City and what they're getting at Liverpool. It's, under Solskjaer and, and Ranić, it's been nowhere near that. And, you know, Ten Hag can, can probably have a big influence on a lot of players just by bringing that that eye for detail and some modern methods there. Certainly. It, it almost seems like, even though it's only a week into pre-season, of course,
2: he's not going to win prizes, but saying the right things on the training ground, results are going to be the the bread and butter for him. But I think we can all agree that the first week, even though, obviously, we can't read everything to what we see on social media, it's been a positive response from the fans, hasn't it?
1: yeah yeah I, th- I think it has <laughs> been um um yeah i mean i think fans uh fans were ready for a change and and ready to, to to bring in a new era last season was so disastrous and so you know so wearing i mean we're we're very lucky that we get to go go to games well we don't get to go for free when we're paid to go to games but even you know in our privileged position there were times last season where me and sammy would be leaving games and at games and it was you know it was energy sapping, just covering them at times and and being involved with them because it was so, you know, so emotionally draining, just seeing the standards slip and the way performances were going. So for supporters who were paying their hard earned money to, to follow them and to to go to Brighton, you know, they were, they were desperate for a change and Ten Hag has brought a lot of positivity, he's saying the right things. Um, The transfers are obviously annoying to supporters but I think what what they've heard from Ten Hag when he speaks what they're they're seeing on the training ground I think is is definitely encouraging and you know I think they're this is this is this is still the honeymoon period really that they're going to lap they're going to lap stuff like this up and 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 look for any sort of sign of, of things changing and speaking of honeymoon periods that leads me into my last point of this podcast and Samuel we've noticed this morning
2: Harry Maguire's put a short video <laughs> on his Twitter page of him doing some running drills in in Italy uh, he's due back at Carrington next week with the rest of the international contingent. Uh, what did you make to that being published this morning?
0: Oh, I'm not. I'm not impressed by any fitness videos. I mean, he's he's not the only one who's done it. Let's let's be fair to him. I mean, you've, you've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka posting a video this week of apparent proof of his ability to, to actually run into the final third, but there's there's still no clip of a cross at the end of it, unsurprisingly. Um, I think Bailly's been doing it. Uh, Diogo Dallo's been doing it as well. Uh, I don't think United fans care at all, really. I think you've... Got a bit of a of a particular disposition to, to be impressed or to, to lap that stuff up. And unfortunately for Maguire he, he used the word running but he was he was he was barely jogging in it. And of course it's just an open goal for um, his his detractors online to come up with, you know, run keep on running, keep on running away or you know run in the opposite direction. Uh it's it's clear that these. I mean, there's there's very little authentic about these these videos. Um, that the, the players, most of them, they don't control the Twitter account. Harry Maguire told us just just under two years ago uh, when he was asked about social media, "Don't read it, don't go on it." Yet yeah, he's got a verified account here, there, and everywhere. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he's not got those apps on his phone. It's it's going to be someone who's doing his his PR for him and not for the first time they've they've misread the room but as I said Maguire's not the only United player who's guilty of that I think it's, you know, it says it all that Ronaldo I don't think I've seen any fitness video from him maybe just a, a picture of him taking a shot um, and he doesn't need to he doesn't need to put a fitness video out because he, he's Ronaldo but these other players they feel as though they need to prove something and uh, it's just, I mean, we we have to follow footballers on Twitter and Instagram just in case they do say something interesting uh, once or twice, but I think that must happen. I could probably count on on one hand last season how many times a player, actually a United player specifically, posted something that I thought, oh, that's newsworthy or oh, that's interesting. Um, it, it's, you know, that, that footballers are going to get big followings, but I, there's there's not a lot of... A lot of sense in following them. Most of the time, it's just the usual generic uh, post uh, after games or summer posts of them on holidays or getting ready for the new season. But you've you've got to you've got to turn up on on match day. That's that's when you're you, you're properly judged. I don't think fans care what you're doing on your own in in Dubai or wherever. What what, what they will care about is 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 how they perform against Brighton in scarily just over five weeks' time.
2: Indeed, it is the matters on the pitch that do the most of the talking and most importantly as well. But that's all we've got time for on today's edition of the Manchester Red podcast. Stick with us for all the latest United news ahead of the squad flying out to Thailand a week today. Uh, Once again, thank you very much for listening and please make sure to subscribe and leave a like if you haven't already. Take care and we'll catch you all again very soon.